0: You're listening to a DM podcast. Just a quick warning, this podcast series contains discussions about crime, trauma, sexual abuse, drug use and suicide. Listener discretion is advised. I used to rob banks in the 80s and 90s and did 23 years in prison in three different states. It took 30 years to talk about the sexual abuse that happened to me and the spiral into crime, addiction and depression that all occurred as a result. Now, having turned my life around, I talk openly to inspirational people about trauma, survival, transformation and hope. I am Russell Mansell and this is the stick up. Martin Stark is the founder and CEO of the non-for-profit company World Gate Boxing Championships Limited is an accomplished speaker and leader empowering people, teams and organizations to make courage a habit. Martin, welcome to the stick up.
1: Thank you for inviting me. Just want to announce that my pronouns are he him and I would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land where we currently are, the Gadigal people of the Eora, of the Eora Nation and pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging and extend that respect to all Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander and First Nations peoples.
0: I second that. Mate, are you getting excited about the uh, World Pride Games?
1: This is now, as we're recording, less than three weeks away. So I, I'm not competing and I probably would make weight, but I haven't done much training in, in the last year, so I, I wouldn't be fight fit.
0: What, what weight What weight did you compete at?
1: Well, I was 73 kilos. So
0: junior middleweight or yeah. no, middleweight. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk a bit about your childhood, mate. Did you come from a happy family or?
1: Oh. Yeah. I mean, I grew up in the 1980s. English. In, in Lincolnshire. What
0: sort of town was Lincolnshire? Tell us. was it?
1: Lincolnshire is a very rural area. Yeah. It's the second largest county in England. It's very flat. Mm. It's on the East Coast. But it was beautiful, quaint, boring. But uh, okay as a kid because excitement, you would need to go to a big city. We would go to London once or twice a year. And it was like we were visiting New York or somewhere else. It was like, like a very different planet. Yeah. Beautiful, but I, I wouldn't choose to live there.
0: How old were you when you came to Australia? Uh,
1: 25.
0: What was the reason for coming to Australia?
1: I knew I wanted to work abroad. Mm. I left university in 1997 and I did a degree in languages. So where I lived, uh, British Telecom or BT had an opening for a team manager. at a. Graduate. So that's
0: your version of Telstra, yeah? Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. version of Telstra. And I wanted to work in America, but it was just incredibly hard. But I knew BT had an office in Sydney. So I visited twice and I made contact and I said, look, can you give me a job? Can you give me a job? I, I'd been to Australia and really loved Australia. I thought, this is where I want to spend some time of my life. Mm. And literally the advice was, get on a plane, come over here, we'll give you a job. And that was just just before the Olympic Games, I landed in Sydney. 2000, yeah. 2000, watched the Olympic Games, started a job on a, one of those working holiday visas then was on a business visa, and a few years later became a permanent resident, and then an Aussie citizen, and I'm a proud Aussie, even though I have a pommy accent.
0: Yeah, yeah, beautiful. Welcome, mate. Well, Join the team. Hey, I just want to talk about your sexuality. Like, I mean, How old were you when you, you came out of being gay? 27.
1: 27? Yeah. I realized I was gay at the age of 11, so yeah. 1986. Mm-hmm. Around that time, I remember Frankie Goes to Hollywood, Boydridge, were the only people and the derision, the hate. There's
0: the, a lot of that in the UK, isn't there? A lot of,
1: a lot of, the late 1980s.
0: Can I just ask you, do you find there's a big difference in acceptance in Australia than the UK?
1: In some ways, I think the UK is more progressive than Australia. For yeah. example, marriage equality yeah. happened far easier in the UK. Yeah. It was It was such a hard process in Australia. I think the UK is now reversing on human rights, which is, mm. is very concerning. But Australia allowed Gay people to serve in the military in the mid '90s. Yeah, the UK had to go to the European Court of Human Rights. Yeah. So it's I would say six and two threes.
0: You realise you're gay at eleven, um, mate. What was life like? And like, how did you fit in? Like, was were you doing the fake girlfriend thing?
1: And oh, I mean, the only safe place was the closet. Going back to the 1980s, I remember EastEnders was the most popular program on television. Mm. They had a gay couple. There was a kiss. Mm. We're not talking like a kiss on the lips, just a peck on the cheek, yeah. and that was national outrage, the sun, all of that. So you have to remember. And then in 1988, a law called Section 28, Section 28 was invoked.
0: What, what, what's that? What, what that did was,
1: that mean? That basically prevented local authorities from promoting homosexuality. So basically, no education in school, no support, absolutely nothing. And the age of consent was 21. So it was a very different... So the only thing is, was to try and fit in, hide who you are and... That
0: must have been torture, mate. It's a crime to be who you are.
1: In that era, it was so different. I mean, we, it was just starting at the top with the you know, HIV crisis. Yeah. In Australia, there was the Grim Reaper. It was something very similar in the UK. And then we reach into the 1990s and things start changing slightly. Certainly on television, there's a bit more representation... But still, you had to be brave to come out.
0: Yeah, I, I recall that Grim Reaper thing, and, and really, man, and, and I think really homophobia was at extreme yeah. when that Grim, because the, the the homosexual the homosexuals were getting blamed for the for AIDS itself and and HIV. And how did coming to Australia play a part in you coming out?
1: I'd visited Sydney a few times, yeah. so I knew Sydney was a very safe, welcoming mm. space. So. Yeah. I could have probably moved to London or Manchester or another mm. big city where it was the hub, but I, I chose to move to Australia, build a friendship network. And really, For me, coming out was, was really when I was comfortable to yeah. do so.
0: How did that feel, mate? Did it, was it liberating?
1: Uh, the, f- the first person I told it was liberating, it was like, I know. The second person I told, we've known for years, it's absolutely fine. No. We've been waiting for you to tell us. It's always somebody's individual journey. And even in the, the noughties, you know, it, Just going to see a Mardi Gras parade. It was eye-opening. It was a huge difference. I remember the first season of the block. You know, there were a gay couple, yeah, and just the stick, the harassment they were getting. Just what you have two gay designers on the block. Are you seriously? Objecting to gay people being interior designers—you probably look at interior designers. they probably more of a high degree who are LGBTQ plus than maybe in another industry that you may not think of.
0: I think of Ian Roberts, the tough NRL footballer, yeah. that can fight, and I think he done wonders for that because he's this big, tough macho guy coming out and telling his story. I, I hope to get him on the podcast down the track, and because. He is one of those. I think he changed the face here in in, in particular in Sydney.
1: Absolutely. I mean, I've spoken with Ian a a few times. When he came out in the mid-90s, there was a UK program. I think it was called Gay Time TV and he was interviewed. Mm. So it was actually really good to see representation Mm. of an elite athlete because the only other person to come out in kind of any code of football in the uk it was justin fashion he came out in 1990 and he's
0: a is he a soccer
1: player is that he's soccer saying and he committed uh, suicide in 1997 uh, but the oh the abuse and you know you can imagine the tabloid media in australia you do that in the uk in the 80s and 90s it's it was just just far worse
0: what i'm seeing here in australia i think oxford street was like I, i was away from from 1990 to 1998, and it was an eye-opener for me. The first night I got out of prison, I went to a like uh, Biblos nightclub, and it was gay, and, and, and straight people were going in, and that was just a, and I and I just, it was sort of, for me, I was just so glad to see people being able to be themselves in their, you know, and, and enjoy themselves and, and embrace their sexuality. I think that was a real big, because there was a big disparity in that eight years. There was a lot of progression from 90 to 98 in how people were, you know, they could just be themselves.
1: The, the first time you go to a gay bar, you go to the LGBTQ plus village, you meet, it's, it's just such a sense of relief. You feel part of the community. You know, I can remember going to gay bars in, in the late 90s and just have, just the, what I would call like the gay uncles, you know, men who are probably in their 40s, who we could just like have a conversation with, saying, look, you know, it is tough. This is what you need to be aware of. This is what life is like. So really, uh, there was a, a sense of mentoring that I found and experienced
0: and what were they sort of just showing you the do's and don'ts I
1: think just really saying you know ultimately this is your decision this is what life is like and there's really a a sense of reality and just making sure that you're comfortable first of all having a support network and and all of those things because that's
0: important in any level it
1: it is but you're talking if somebody comes out are they going to be rejected by their family support network
0: yeah like the importance of a support network and a mentor, yeah. as it were, you know, and is that what you, did, did you get like a few mentors, is, it, is that what yeah, you would call I, them?
1: Yeah, I, I was on a training course with BT and one of the trainers was gay and I remember I was at a training course a few months later and we were just having a conversation and he just kind of opened up and he realised I was gay and yeah. he, just, he just gave me some advice and said, you know, you probably should leave where you currently are, find a support base, find where you can be a bit more open. Your career opportunities won't be limited. I mean, my first manager deeply homophobic. Yeah, you know, like gay jokes, innuendos. How do you really, feel
0: about that? Like, if you're sitting in a course, like, did you did? Was there a part of you feel like you know putting your hand up and tell them to shut up? Or oh,
1: absolute fear. Yeah, yeah, absolute fear because the, it was a that was the expected culture. And when you see your manager with his manager and peers, and they're all making the innuendo, the homophobic jokes. Mm. I mean, this was twenty five years ago almost. Mm. Who's going to come out? Nobody.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. When did the when did the love of boxing sort of kick off?
1: It started at the beginning of 2018. Mm. In 2006, mm. I just become a permanent resident, mm. and my partner at the time was now my husband. We went back to the UK to kind of you know introduce him to the family. Mm but I had gallstones blocking my liver Ooh. painful huh? painful then I had a procedure called an ERCP and there was a 1% risk of getting pancreatitis I remember waking up in there really struggling to breathe and the anesthetist said you have pancreatitis and I'm saying you're gonna to need to place you on a ventilator and, the, and they said yes we're gonna to need to place you on one so then I'm placing an induced coma for about a week and my time in my coma, my first coma, I just had these really bad dreams. And I have a high level of awareness. How
0: long were how long you we in the coma for?
1: first one was about a week.
0: Yeah. Do you, do you remember any of that, When I'm, I'm fascinated that.
1: I remember the dreams, which are living nightmares.
0: Are they? Yeah,
1: a big cause of my trauma, yeah. big cause of my trauma. I also remember fictional things that I thought were reality. Then I'm brought out of the coma, I'm starting to recover, But then sepsis is forming, so which is obviously blood poisoning, Mm -hmm. and then I go into septic shock, and I also had undiagnosed Addison's disease, and I was going to. What can you explain?
0: Because I read that in your bio. So
1: so Addison's disease is my body doesn't produce cortisol. Cortisol is your stress hormone. Yeah. yeah. So in the event of like emotional stress, psychological or physical stress, your body will produce more cortisol. So if you have a cough or a cold, your body mine doesn't, but in the event of getting really sick. Your co- your body starts to shut down. You can you can die. You can die quite quickly from it. And this was all happening mm. whilst I was in intensive care. I remember some of the interactions with the nurses, and there was one like Chris. She was my favourite. I could I could just be vulnerable. Mm. I could cry whatever. Sometimes you know, people say, oh, you'd be brave, you'd be strong, you've got to deal with this. And sometimes, you know... You prefer to be vulnerable. Sometimes you just want to be like, moan, mm. whatever, deal mm. with it, and yeah. know it's okay. Yeah, sure.
0: I think it's really important. Like, I know from my own being in traumatic places and stuff like that, that, that the act of humanity is so soothing. Like, you know, when someone shows you some kindness or some compassion or some empathy... I think it for, for me, for me, it's always been just like wow. It's like dropping, yeah. It's, I, I use the analogy of using dropping a hot piece of steel in a bucket of water. Yeah. You know I mean? it's important, isn't it's it? It's
1: important, you know. Four times my family were told I wouldn't survive the night. You know, mm. close to death several times. And should that have happened, you know, one of my last moments may have been that moment of humanity. Mm. I was down to sixty-two kilos and referred to. A fine surgeon in sydney dr tom hugh oh, an amazing hepatologist mm-hmm. and i just, to kind of to bring this story to a close you know over the last 17 years i've been hospital over 70 times i've had four major surgeries I've, we are so lucky to have a great healthcare system in mm. australia
0: yeah part of your recovery is this like the part of recovery of sort of the boxing itself
1: and boxing i just had a few self-defense classes one of them was boxing and i, and I really just continued my boxing journey from there Wait, know,
0: what, what was the first boxing gym you went into
1: oh it was just uh you know like a local gym yeah. i can't remember the name of it now. Yeah. i think it's closed down and then but from there i moved to a gym in bondi
0: steve dalvakian is that uh no, it, Tony it, it's, okay. no
1: it, it's fit fighters in, yeah. in bondi junction yeah. The boxing coach who I was seeing at the time, we used to train outdoors, and then we we trained at Fit Fighters, and then mm. the boxing uh, moved moved away. So my current coach, Jamie, you know, mm. he trains there, and he's mm. been my coach ever since. I also train at Corporate Fighter, so I yeah. the Corporate Fighter program, yeah. but it's, you know, very welcoming gym, very LGBTQ plus friendly.
0: Mm. But you know what I've found in Australia? The boxing community, have, they really embrace people. They really embraced like for me coming out of prison. They've been saviors for me. Like you know, they embraced me and encouraged me to be the best I can. I, I don't find much judgment in the Australian boxing community. How, how, how have you found it?
1: I found the Australian amateur boxing community very welcoming, mm. particularly boxing in Australia and boxing in New yeah. South Wales. Yeah. Not every boxing gym is perfect. No, hundred
0: percent. Are you with the league or with the? uh, There's, there's two here, isn't it? There's the league and there's the other one.
1: The association. Yeah, yeah. The boxing association. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So your fights, any fight you have, is is classed as uh, an amateur fight. Yeah. 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 And how many fights have you had? I've done one. Yeah. Yeah. How did that go?
1: I got through my three by two minute rounds. I didn't Mm. win the fights. I because with Addison's disease, my body doesn't produce cortisol.
0: But I that's a great to. achievement, haven't I, it?
1: I tell you, and the guy I fought, Alex Whitlock, is a very close friend of mine. You know, we, we had a pact. Mm. When you spy, you usually touch gloves at the start of the sparring, but mm. in, a, in a fight, you're not supposed to do that. Yeah. But, but we did that. Yeah, yeah. And I really did my best, but I I really was fatigued in the final round, and Alex's coach. Mm shouted Martin there's 50 seconds keep going mm. so I knew having a time so even like the coach yeah, he, for the other corner is encouraging me yeah yeah and that just really just gave the, the welcoming of that fighter and the coaching staff
0: you know what I find with boxing what I find amazing I, like I'm involved in the boxing game myself two blokes can go uh, ahead and try killing each other and yeah. then shake hands and be yeah. lifelong friends after it's yeah. amazing it's just such a, a beautiful sport but there's there's, I, I, you know, we've interviewed, at have to stick up here, we've interviewed quite a few boxers and we're, you know, I, I'm a passionate about it. But you think there's a lot of similarities with the boxing training itself and, and being able to succeed in life?
1: I believe so. I mean, if you think what uh, Muhammad Ali achieved outside of the ring. Amazing. Amazing. Work.
0: George Foreman said about Muhammad Ali, he said he was the greatest boxer, but a greater human being. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Like how
0: did boxing contribute to you sort of dealing with your illnesses post, you know, illness itself?
1: If you can imagine you've never done something before, I was always the last to be picked at soccer at school. Yeah. Yeah, swimming was my sport. Then when you discover something which you can do and you never consider to be able to do and you can't really fall in love, I, I say boxing discovered me. I use boxing as the prism to help me overcome PTSD. The first time I did shadow boxing my fear wasn't me being hurt the fear was me hurting somebody else Mm. when i shadow boxed i realized that i mattered more than i gave myself credit for because my i've been through so much it's it's been tough there's so much which i don't talk about what Mm. i've been through and i can't always fight i can't always be the strong brave stoic what boxing gave me was the ability to to be aware and channel that energy and actually feel the support of the crew of the environment when you get to know the psychology of the support when you think about the coach's corner the somebody in your corner one of the rising stars of world boxing is harry garside good blank when he lost his semi-final fight in tokyo he went over to thank and congratulate the winner and he held open the ropes mm. for the winner. And he's been a huge ally to the LGBTQ community. We've worked mm. together at Mardi Gras and all of those things. Yeah. So you start to feel that sense of camaraderie. And people confuse banter with camaraderie. Mm. You know, banter now, I'm like, it's an excuse to be a bully. Well,
0: it was really sad the other week um, with the Liam Smith, Chris Eubank, that banter. That was just, I just got out of control. About the homophobic slurs and that sort of stuff?
1: There is one person, there are two people I want to meet. Mm. The first is Mark Boros. Top line. Because I want to go on his podcast, but I want to have, because he calls it Straight Talks, I want to to call it Gay Talk. (laughs) And we just have a talk about boxing. Yeah. Yeah. And I want him to introduce me to Eddie Hearn. Yeah. In my view, Eddie Hearn is the most influential person in boxing right now.
0: Eddie Hearn is an international boxing promoter who puts on world title fights. He's in managing Colonel Alvarez, who's the, one of the best pound-for-pound pound yeah. fighters in the world. So, and he's also English.
1: Absolutely, <laughs> and Matchroom Sports, they are owner or part-owner of the Professional Darts Council. Now, from 2008, like, darts, growing up in the UK, was very hyper-masculine. Mm. It was the darts players, there were no women. It was darts players smoking cigarettes, drinking beer you know it was usually in working men's clubs mm. 2018 the PDC professional darts council matchroom sports is involved in the rainbow laces campaign so you have visible allyship from elite level of darts supporting the lgbtq community isn't that good so w- what i'm saying is to eddie i need you to help me we need to stop the hatred Mm. to the LGBT, because right now where I see some elements of boxing, I think there's abject hatred to the community, mm. and you can do that.
0: I reckon he's open. To it. I met, I met Eddie, Eddie Hearn in Manchester. I've actually got his yeah. – I'll give you his PA's number. I'll yeah. get on my phone. Yeah. I think he'd be really open. He's a, he's a really smart yeah. guy, Eddie, and I couldn't yeah. imagine him, yeah. you know, I could imagine him really embracing what you're saying.
1: And Chris Eubank, Jr., my goodness, what an ally. You know, that press conference, it was toxic. Nobody mm. said anything apart from Chris –
0: Recently, there was a fight in Manchester between Liam Beefy Smith from Liverpool and Chris Eubank, and um, and and in the press conference, there were some homophobic slurs that come out and uh, that were unwarranted. And, and 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 Chris Eubank sort of stood up and, and he came out with um, he the rainbow flag or something. like that. He
1: wore a rainbow One band, mm-hmm. He did an Instagram post. There's mm. no place for homophobia. Really stunned mm. by the community. Yeah. Absolute. Wow. Mm. Absolute. When we talk about visible allyship, mm. you know he's up there with Harry Garside yeah. as far as I'm concerned. Mm. But at the end of that fight, a spectator was able to evade security, get ringside, and call Chris Eubank a faggot, a puff, mm. and the c-word. I don't
0: understand that in sport. I can imagine someone doing that to Ian Robertson; he'd just smash him with a good uppercut, and just they wouldn't do it a second time to someone like Ian Roberts.
1: Well, at the end of the two thousand. 21 uh, English football league season, the Professional Footballers Association issued a report. Mm. But two out of every five football players at the like the Premier League and, and lower levels had received some form of online abuse. Yeah. Of that, one third of it was homophobic. <laughs> As
0: a kid growing up, did you did you receive, receive sort of uh, much bullying or anything like that? Yeah, or? I
1: mean, you got the usual, you're gay, you're gay, yeah. you're this, you know. How that. did
0: that affect you? Because I hate bullies.
1: Oh, it was, the, the culture at the time was the expectation. That was the norm. Mm-hmm. You watch any program to with gays, it was derision, it was stereotype, but it was hard.
0: Obviously, it was traumatic. Yeah. It was traumatic growing up with those sorts of things. I just, I've seen what bullying, bullying people kill themselves over being bullied. You know, it's massive. When you've come into the, 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 like the gay community in 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 Australia, like there's a lot of suicide and and that sort of stuff in there. It's a high level of it, isn't it? So,
1: so studies show that LGBTQI plus people are five to 20 20 times more likely to attempt suicide. I'm I'm one of them. Mm Studies show that LGBTQ plus people are, you know, less than half likely to participate in sport.
0: The appeal to go into the boxing was it? Was there the the self defence element to it or?
1: No, really, I just really enjoyed it. Yeah, I didn't think I could do it. It's like a
0: violent game of yeah. chess.
1: When I you know started sparring, it you actually get into see the beauty of the sport. Footwork. And what about the footwork? Fo- oh my goodness, the footwork drills.
0: Yeah. yeah. It's very similar to things like ballroom dancing, yeah. learning how to use your feet and, and dancing. Uh, and, and that's where your power comes from, from your feet. Yeah. People don't realise that. People realise when you're boxing, you throw a punch yeah. and that's where you, your power actually comes from, pushing your feet through your hips.
1: Yeah. It's, you know, learning boxing helped improve my dancing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: Mate, that's what it is. I need to be boxing more because I can't <laughs> dance. I dance like a two-left-legged Siberian tiger. So you were the CEO of the World Gay Boxing Championship. Mate, where, do, where does that come from?
1: When I started boxing and I started taking it seriously, boxing was held at the 2018 Paris Gay Games, and I, th- I assumed that boxing would be in the 2022 Gay Games. And mm. I, was ca- I was calling myself the future World Gay Boxing Champion, mm. like I want to represent <laughs> Australia, mm. win gold and come back. And then I was in hospital, had a, a sonic crisis.
0: Is that like a relapse yet?
1: Yeah, another sending crisis is you know really having an infection. You're mm. starting to get sick, mm. and I'm in a hospital bed. I'm got the IV drip. I'm on my iPad, and then I had this crazy idea: why don't I organise the world's first LGBTQ plus boxing competition? And I called it the World Gay Boxing Championships mm. because I realised what had been achieved in the last forty years with the Gay Games, which started mm. in 1982, and it's always included straight people. Then I said, well, "Well, think about what the Sydney convicts have achieved with yeah, the no, union." And then, no, what I the know about trade. then, and, and like so many other sports, and there's never been anything for boxing. Oh, it will be easy if anybody tells you it's easy to organise a boxing event. Come to have a com- have a conversation with me. Hmm. It's the hardest thing I've ever done. With the board I have, so my lawyer, helps the not for profits. I have people who've worked in industries, you know, CFOs directors or have a very good board to to really to use all my corporate and professional skills to set up a not-for-profit and kind of run a corporation so being able to have a network but also using my own skills that I've learned from the last 20 years working in industry Mm. have helped me Australia is a very tough place to start up sport the last time I checked the participatory grant for all sports, national sporting bodies was $15 million. Mm-hmm. That's for all sports. Just
0: out of the church, mate.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: The got 43 million.
1: Oh, yeah. Australia does so well with community sport, with people mm. volunteering, because effectively, we don't fund it that well.
0: Statistically, kids that engage in sports, particularly uh, little athletics and swimming, have like a 43% chance of not engaging in antisocial behaviour. Yeah. So you think it'd be embraced. Yeah. So what's it entail, what's it, de- what's it entail, this, this CEO of your organisation?
1: So a big part of my role was lobbying, advocacy, outreach, and um, building relationships. First thing was a conversation with Boxing Australia, can you help me? Yeah. Two weeks later, the Board of Boxing Australia voted yes, we will help you, providing institutional support. Again, meeting with Boxing New South Wales. So they've given me all of the advice in order to do this. The second part was communication, communication, communication. Mm. You know, Reaching out to people all over the world. I've I've been on CNN, I've been on ABC, The Guardian, so many different media Mm. outlets and also fundraising. So we're auspiced by the Australian Sports Foundation. Mm. So we've run a few fundraising activities and that's really been... Are people embracing it? There's there's a lot of people who embrace it and and support. I, I think and i think this is the same with sport there's a there's a lack of like real philanthropic support for like for that grassroots activities yep. unless you have like a big membership base you're already successful mm. that's more likely to get the sponsorship dollars but at that start up level it, it's really tough
0: yeah for me bo- like any sort of boxing's been just a lifesaver for me I- I've got a predisposition for depression and and it's one of those things that I encourage people. Like uh, Blake asked me today, I'm I'm really down. I say, mate, just, you know, get down to your local boxing gym, have a punch. And and that networking, uh, mate, what I've found with boxing, I know plenty of promoters and that sort of stuff like that, that's tough graft. But um, a lot of people will get behind it once you get a roll on.
1: I I think there's like, you know, earning your stripes, proving your worth. You have to build your own network, you have to build your own influence.
0: Mm. So, how many countries had an interest from?
1: We've had interest from countries on all inhabited continents. Beautiful. gay guy in Sri Lanka, somebody from Brazil, Mexico, America, yeah. many African countries, many European countries. Unfortunately, obviously, with COVID and, and the, the cost of travel right now, yeah. a lot. Are able to come, but you know, really hoping to come to the next one, yep. and had great local support as well. So the championships going to be held on the 18th and 19th mm. of February in the ballroom at the Turf Club. So Bramwick? Have... Bramwick, yeah, okay. So two sessions of boxing, two p.m. on a Saturday, two p.m. on the Sunday, and we have two great drag queen MCs. It's just going to be fun.
0: Tranny Bingo at Balmain, man. How good was that? You ever oh, go to that?
1: No, it's now called, uh, I think it's now called Drag Bingo. But yeah. um, And there's
0: one at Byron Bay yeah. at the Balcony Restaurant on a Sunday night. Oh, man, yeah, that is so much nice. fun. Nice.
1: So I was chatting with a friend who'd been to Drag Bingo a few weeks ago in, in Melbourne, mm. and they were just full of, they were just laughing. I That's always, get, I always get
0: picked on. Yeah. I always get, But I love it. That's good fun. It's all in good jest. Mate, how can, how can people get tickets too?
1: Yep, go on Ticketmaster, we're there. Um, Ticketmaster? Yes. Yeah, and what is your website? Wgbc.org.au
0: And what about yourself? Um,
1: Best place uh, to find me is LinkedIn. Yeah. Because I sep- see you got the
0: LinkedIn shirt.
1: It's LinkedIn shirt. I'm one of their top voices of 2022. Mm. So separately from running the World Gay Boxing Championships, I'm also a keynote speaker. Yeah. So that's what I want to be doing more of, this year it's great to speak in front of an audience share my story man you're
0: a pioneer in regards to that like yeah, honestly you're a warrior, mate and, and i'll give you credit like it yeah. you know, to be stepping out of your comfort zone yeah. too to do a lot of stuff like this wouldn't it
1: for years people said you know you should speak you should speak and it wasn't until mm. i had really the courage to start doing it mm. really find that this is what i want to do you know I, I see keynote speakers what they're owning and i think like you know my message is of Courage and inclusion. Sharing my stories of being in a coma and overcoming adversity, and and really trying to inspire people to, to make the change for themselves.
0: Yeah, and the growth that comes from that. Yeah, is amazing. Hey, Martin, thank you, mate. Thanks once again for taking your time out and joining us on the Stick Up podcast.
1: No, thank you. It's an absolute thank pleasure. You.